Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insight. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Learning Insights, and this is going to be a good one. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Training Pros. Today on Learning Insights, we have Kyle Stapleton, and he is with Warner Media. Welcome, Kyle. Good morning, Lee. Happy day. How are you, man? Well, um, I am excited to talk to you. Warner Media has been going through some stuff. Is that a new term, Warner Media? Like, where are you guys at right now? Uh, it is a new name. We're still getting used to it. And being an Atlanta native, uh, it is hard to get away from the muscle memory of saying Turner and uh, thinking about Uncle Ted. But we're excited about where things are headed. Um, you know, we launched HBO Max uh, a couple of months ago, and the industry and the company and everything is in a perpetual state of change. Uh, but for, you know, for people who don't like to be bored, uh, it's the best time to be in the business. So now um, tell us about how that change impacts company culture. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we humans are notoriously change averse as a species. Um, but, you know, I think I'm very fortunate to, to work on culture in a place where um, people are always striving for new things. Like that's kind of baked into the DNA of creatives, right, is to not see the world as it is, but as it could be. Um, so we're a little bit anomalous in that uh, our people are pretty decent at fighting the instinct um, to be change resistant, but it is natural, right? Um, and I think to mitigate the impact on culture, uh, it just, it, it takes this phrase that Ernie Johnson, the, the legendary sportscaster, who is a longtime Turner Warner Media employee said, um, you, you don't need to cover your butts. You need to lock arms in a time like this, right? And locking arms looks like staying in regular communication and, and being engaged and doing the extra 10 or 20% to look out for your your fellow colleague on your left and your right and um, knowing that changes are going to come, but whatever happens, wh whether you foresee it or not, you're going to be able to weather it together um, as long as you keep an eye out for each other. So now as someone who, um, who spends a lot of time thinking about culture, how does that impact you and your work? Like what are some things you can do proactively? What are some things you could have done uh, to prepare for this? Well, great question, Lee. Um, I'm, I'm under-caffeinated. Uh, you know, I think the, the thing about being a dedicated full-time culture resource is that you're always thinking about this. Like, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. Um, so this year, um, with the company and industry change and, and just everything that's been happening in the world, um, you know, it's been an opportunity. It's been kind of a juncture to meet this moment. So for us, it looks like uh, a, a lot more incremental internal comms, just especially at the senior executive level. It's just being totally available and being transparent and frankly reiterating a lot of the same messages um, and just being super, super consistent with all of that. Um, it looks like a stronger feedback culture than we've ever had. We've been working on that in the four years that I've been at the company and just creating more of a continuous feedback loop. But then also, um, 
you know, recapping a lot more and a lot more strongly, right? Here's what we heard you say. And more importantly, here's what we're going to do about it. And most importantly, by when, um, you know, I, I can't say that we always get that perfectly, but that, that is certainly kind of the intent and the framework. Um, so really a lot of it just looks like communications and staying connected and, and really deep listening and acknowledgement um, and just, trying to remove as much of the gap as possible um, that allows for misunderstanding or misinterpretation or, or missed opportunity. Um, so a lot of staying on the same page and then, and then kind of a lot of, I don't want to call it planning or strategy work because it's not really that it's more like experimenting and staying agile. Um, you know, things that we normally do repeatedly like a meeting cadence or um like a like a feedback or engagement loop um trying it one way right now that kind of all bets are off in the mostly virtual work from home environment um and debriefing immediately about what went well what didn't and then adapting it for the next time right so just being completely agile at all times is really really critical now there's a, a saying that says culture um eats strategy uh for lunch how do you define success uh, in terms of culture? I uh, I love and hate that old Drucker quote. I I I think that that paints the two things as competitive um, when really they're like they're two sides of the same coin or they're they're almost two poles, right? They shouldn't be competitive. They should be complementary. It's almost like the art and science of things, right? The the culture is the art, is the experience, is um, what it means, what it feels like, what the shared aspiration is to be at a place, and the, and the strategy is how you execute that, right? Culture should have a strategy and, and vice versa. Um, so in, for us, it, it really is kind of an ongoing thing. It's, it's like an ongoing conversation, right? Um, my work is on behalf of all the people, right? So, so my team and I have to be a voice of all the frontline employees and, and do our best to stay in tune with the real lived experience for them at work every day and uh, try to synthesize that and present ideas to the senior leadership and, um, you know, challenge the senior leadership to make their hearts known and their intentions known and, connect the cultural aspirations to the business realities at all times. And um, I think the best place to synthesize all that, right, is uh, at the beginning of the year and then throughout the year to continually reiterate the business goals and then talk about the how we're, we're going to get them accomplished together, right? And tell the stories of what it looks like when we do it really well. And also not be afraid to tell the stories of what it looks like when it doesn't go that well, right? Um, have people be vulnerable, be vulnerable around failure, um, which you know can, can be a harsh word to even say out loud for some folks. Like, no, nobody wants to fail, nobody wants to be wrong. But the the world is a nonstop experiment now, right? So there's no better time to fail and, and to do so early and often. Um, and so to try to be a culture that that is agile because it celebrates its failures and it, it takes its bumps and bruises along the way and just tries to get incrementally better at the things that they do um, over time and with lots of experiments. 
Now, is it possible to measure culture? Is there things that you high five your team with at the end of a week or end of a quarter? Are there kind of breadcrumbs that say, hey, that we're on the right track? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I want to say yes, but I also want to caution any senior leaders who may be listening to this. Um, it's not strictly a balance sheet operation, right? There certainly is measurable ROI, um, and there's plenty of research from the McKinsey's and the Bain's and the HBR's of the world that will indicate, um, you know, the the companies with the greatest market share are the ones that also make this investment. And you can see a, a correlation, but not necessarily a direct causation. So in in the gap between the numbers and just knowing it's the right thing to do. Um, I think you see the best leaders uh, time and time again, just going with their gut and trusting that it is the right thing to do. Um, but I think, you know, down at the team level, it does look like high performance and it does look like, frankly, a high level of trust that I, I think trust and engagement are, are really the strongest metric that then correlate to performance. Um, and a good knowledge organization in the 21st century is really a team of teams more than anything, right? The, um, the rigid hierarchical kind of top-down org chart tree look at things um, is frankly not a framework that works. And I, I think a lot of organizations that are, are struggling to innovate um, in any kind of meaningful, scalable way are probably feeling that tension. So moving towards more decentralization, more trust, more employee autonomy, and just finding leaders who have a superpower at building and sustaining high-performance teams that uh, trust each other deeply and, and almost implicitly and high, have a high level of engagement. Um, and that's built through vulnerability and through healthy conflict, um, like any good kind of creative endeavor, you know, like any band in the studio, so to speak. Um, and then that all ladders up and the responsibility of the super senior executives is to surface the best stories and um, try to replicate in principle and in virtue uh, what it is some of those high trust, high engagement teams do. Now, in, in organizations that are trying to develop and nurture kind of a healthy culture, do you think that um, the industry matters? Like if you're in a manufacturing environment where you can count the output of the things you're producing and, you, you know, it's there, it's physical, it's tangible, that's a culture can be created a certain way. But in a creative culture where a lot of it is subjective and in, and even internally, if you think something's a great idea and somebody gets, you know, kudos for it, in reality, it may not work when the public gets its hand on it. So you know, it, in uh, I have a degree in advertising. We used to say it's only creative if it sells. Um, so, you know, it, just because it sounds good in the room doesn't mean it's going to be good when the world gets it. So um, do you think that there's different strategies in culture depending on the kind of industry you're in? Lee, I love this question. I think this is one of the most important questions that we can be asking. Um Culture is not a monolithic idea, right? We know that it's not the fun, perk, kind of table stake stuff like, uh, you know, a beer in the fridge and ping pong tables and all the sort of trappings of, of white collar knowledge work that we've started to see. Um, that stuff doesn't really have any kind of meaningful needle moving effect. Um, 
I had a conversation earlier this week with uh, a phenomenal um, kind of performance coach and um, IO specialist named Karen Eber. And she, she said something that's really stuck with me. She said, a good culture is when people don't focus on the people, they focus on the work, right? They, they, oh no, she said the energy goes toward the work, not the people, right? So all you want to do is get to a place where you're not constantly diagnosing the relationships and dealing with HR personnel issues. Everybody is aligned um, and emotionally invested in doing the work and doing it with excellence. Um, and that looks different in, in every sector, but I, I describe culture work as gardening, not architecture, right? Architecture is, is kind of the Drucker strategy piece of things, right? Where you, you build a plan, you design frameworks and processes, you operationalize, you do all of those sorts of things. Um, but ultimately, people can't, can't really be built for, right? They're organic, unpredictable, chaotic creatures. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of them, right? And, and people are the product now in, in almost every sense of the economy, right? And, and where products are the product, you're, you're seeing automation kind of, kind of creep in and maybe that's okay, right? Because people's highest and best use are the things that can't be automated away. Even in industries where there is a, a blue collar component, I, I do believe that there is a, a higher and better use for people, especially in like manufacturing or warehousing or logistics. You can find other ways to upskill, rescale, rescale and, and redeploy people's uh, smarts and their capabilities and their strengths. Um, so the gardening part of culture is really like you find the bright spots and you give them water and sunshine uh, and you pull the weeds when they start to get tall, right? So um, at, at the end of the day, your goal is to help people find ways to get to the good parts of the work by listening to them. Uh, and you, you augment and add to and invest in with real resources, time, money, energy, um, and attention, uh, the, the good things that are working in your culture and they are happening no matter how good or culture, good or bad your culture may be. There are pockets where you have culture champions who are doing great things to try to brighten the environment that you work in and help everybody show up and actualize and be their best selves. It's your job as a leader to find those things and to give them sunlight and water. Um, and then also to know what the weeds are and to pull them uh, relentlessly and, and with abandon, right? And to not be afraid to say, this is not what our culture looks like and we're going to take a stand on it. I, I think some of the, the places where I've seen good cultures falter where they don't pull the weeds quickly or aggressively enough and they don't hold up the weed in a staff meeting and say that this is not who we are, right? This is overtaking our garden and we need you to help us, um, you know, water the flowers and pull up the weeds together. Now, um, like I said earlier, my background's in marketing and advertising. And another saying we have is uh, if you're not, if you're not trying to brand, you're still branding. Um, and I would think the same <laughs> thing is true with culture. If you're not trying to mindfully create and nurture a certain kind of culture, a culture is going to develop with or without your intentionality. Um, is there any kind of symptoms or um, things you can see that uh, where like a, a bad culture is developing or some bad habits or, or some bad behaviors being tolerated that uh, maybe a leader can see that and stamp that out and try to kind of move the culture into a more positive direction? I am loving these questions that you're asking. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, 
I think there are a number of different ways that you can tackle this. One of the one of my favorite things to talk about, kind of in that regard, is um, the the brilliant jerk phenomenon. I I used to work with a guy named Cliff Oxford who had a column in the Times where he wrote about the brilliant jerk phenomenon. So so in the Jack Welch of GE matrix of things, um, the two axes of that are high performance and and high value alignment within the organization. Right? Are they are they doing the job effectively and are they adding to the culture? Um, not fitting into the culture, but adding to the culture. There's a quadrant in that um, where they're high performance, but low culture add or culture subtraction um, called the brilliant jerk. There's been a whole book about it um, that was written called the no a-hole rule, pardon my French folks. Um, but the there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that will tell you nothing will kill a culture faster than a person who is good, but also bad. Right. Um, And again, those, those cultures that struggle, I I think fail to get weed those people out of the organization fast enough because they get the job done. Um, You can always upskill a person who is a culture ad Uh, upskill or move or, or, you know, find a way to do right by the person who's a culture ad, but is maybe not a super high performer, but there's, there's no excuse. And the data shows us that again and again and again, the net effect of a brilliant jerk um, on the culture and ultimately on the performance of an organization and metrics like turnover, morale, performance at, at the team and kind of department level. Um, the, the data shows us that those people just are not worth it. So the number one thing a good leader can do is just to make sure, again, that the team of teams is functioning, that the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and that individuals aren't detracting from the organization, that they're, they're actively adding to it. And that looks like being a good team player, no matter how much of a good individual contributor you are. We live in a, we live in a world where the, the companies that are growing and succeeding and thriving are doing so with, with collaboration and team mentality. Um, and so that's really the thing that needs to be watered above the, the generation ago individual performance kind of hire for superstar rock star mentality. Um, the, that is somewhere where truly culture eats strategy or culture eats performance for breakfast all day long. Now, talk about how this, um, you know, since we're in this pandemic and and more and more people are working from home, how do you kind of uh, nurture a culture, uh, especially with like new hires and um, kind of get them immersed in the culture when you're a lot of times you're not going to see them face to face anymore. You know, they could be at their house, you know, miles away from headquarters how do how does that uh how are you evolving to deal with that challenge i i want to first say candidly that um i we don't have this figured out this is um in many ways unprecedented territory um and there are companies that have been way ahead of the curve with the work from home thing, but this is different. This is not work from home. This is live at work. This is work out of your house during an unprecedented uh, international crisis, right? The, the circumstances for this should not set the bar for the new normal moving forward, right? They, they, they push us toward a lot of new paradigms, which is exciting. I think they showed a lot of leaders that distributed workforces are not only possible, but they're, probably better in a lot of cases. Um, but I, I want to be really clear that there are only certain 
takeaways from this time that are really extractable. And I would encourage all leaders to think really critically and have really candid conversations about um, what parts of the this environment will remain true and, and what factors will change. Um, so to your question about onboarding, you know, it's interesting because certain industries are hiring more than they ever have. And most companies and industries, you know, I, I'm finding are, are slowing in their hiring, right, just because of the unbelievable economic realities and the something like 30% contraction in, in, in the economy in the last quarter. Um, but in the event that we are hiring new people, you know, it's really tried and true stuff, right? It's just the hiring manager and the teams around them making the person feel welcome and, and trying to engineer as many of the moments that would be serendipitous at a physical office as possible, right? So the, the like accidental hallway run in with the GM or a senior executive or lunch with your team or a lot of that relationship building work, you um, have to do a little less organically than you normally would. Um, but that's really what it's about is fostering a sense of belonging, right? Um, a sense of connection to the mission and the purpose will come with things like the, the meetings and hearing from the le leaders and learning about what the issues are facing the business in the given moment. Um, but really, it's, it's about a sense of belonging and, and letting folks know that you're excited that they're on board and that um, they're going to contribute in new and exciting ways and they're going to be a culture ad. Um, so I would focus on um, having them get to know the work and the people. The, the things don't really, the principles don't really change, but the, the playbook, the way you execute it, maybe does a little. Um, and then, again, just creating that feedback loop, right? Just like, what do you need more of? What is an obstacle to you getting your work done? Um, and, and I think that really lives and dies with the manager, uh, just to take extra care to check in on the new people and just uh, hear from them about how to improve. Everybody's learning how to get through this together, um, and everybody has a, an equal voice and valid stake in, in how to see the improvements that we want to see. So, um, like like you said, that there's not those collisions, those ac accidental serendipitous meetings, um, you know, where you bump into someone and you lose that. And in order to kind of counter that, you're saying to just be more mindful and put in some uh, planned kind of meetings and, and, and create that kind of environment where there are opportunities for people to meet maybe people they wouldn't meet or um, just get information from others. That's right. I, you know, I, I make this joke a lot about how everything I learned about culture, about, about how to be a culture pro, I learned in merit, premarital counseling. Um, you know, my wife and I, when we were first starting out, the, the thing that nobody told us that or maybe they did and we just were young and hardheaded is that uh, any relationship, whether it's a professional or personal one, is a choice and you've got to do the work. It really is a job. You've got to show up, be intentional, clock in every day and work to make things better. To your point, we, the absence of culture or of a relationship or of effort um, does not mean that it's not happening, right? Like something is going to happen to those relationships, whether you put in the work or not. It's a matter of what do you want it to be, right? And if you want it to be something, you have to show up and shape it every day. So in in new hires and creating those collisions or senior leaders that have been working together 15 or 20 years, the relationships and the connections 
are the thing that drive the business. And so they're the thing that you need to be investing real time and emotional effort into right now. Um, I, I, I think on, on every level, um, from team functionality to DEI and addressing issues of equity and justice, um, focusing on people and allowing people to bring their whole selves into it and just being empathetic and growing together, um, where that might seem like fluff when you're in the trenches together, th there is literally nothing more important that, that people can do to, to fill up the blocks of their calendars uh, at a time like this. Right. And you can't not do it. Like you have to, like the, some of the stuff was just happening kind of by osmosis when you're all in the same building. Um, but now when you're not, you have to be intentional and actually schedule some of this stuff. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, it, it may feel a little bit forced, but if it matters to you, it's worth making that little bit of intentional effort. It, it pays off in, in ways that you can't imagine. Now, if you were giving advice to somebody at uh, an organization out there that is a dedicated resource for their company's culture, um, what advice would you give them in order to create that uh, culture that they're proud of? The big thing, and I, I say this to everybody who's like, wow, I like your job title. What, you know, what does it look like to, to do that work? Um, all of this lives and dies with the leadership, right? With the people in control of the budgets and the people in the rooms making the big, the big heavy decisions. If they don't get it, if they aren't preaching this gospel, if this doesn't matter to them as much as driving business outcomes, uh, you need to quit that organization. And I realize there's, there's privilege baked into me saying that, um, but we, the same way that people are taken to the streets to, to protest injustices in, in the condition of the personal world, the social world, um, the, the bad behavior of not investing in people first above profit is a thing that, that we have to voice with our employment that that's unacceptable to us. And I think you're starting to see that, right? You read HBR articles or the Deloitte Human Capital Trends Report or, you know, McKinsey Insights, and they'll all tell you the same thing. It's like the priorities and the reasons people go to companies and stay at jobs are shifting. The paycheck is not enough, right? Um, purpose, values, the way the organization adds value to the world other than extracting it um, is the thing that is going to define the 21st century organization truly, right? So to the extent you have the power to do so, if the leaders of your organization don't get it or can't be made to get it, that culture is a business outcome and should be invested in and lastly, then you need to quit that organization. And you need to let them know in your exit interview that it's because of the culture and it's because of the leader's unwillingness to make it a priority um, that that is your reason, right? Until uh, the people with the power see the light, they, they can't be made to change, right? Um, <clears throat> outside of that, I would say, um, you know, work as actively as you can, if this is to the dedicated resource people, um, work as actively as you can to find ways to get smarter at the job and to drive more value and 
to work toward the case for um, not only why it's good to continue investing in culture, um, because you're always going to be asked, right? As, as much as I want to believe in everything that I just said, I'm always going to be asked about the ROI of investing in culture. And I get that. That's, that's fair in the framework that we're in. Um, so to me, getting smarter at data and uh, data-driven decisions uh, is really a way of the future, right? Just uh, partnering with analytics people in your organization, HR analytics type folks, um, and then learning how to tell the stories, like read the tea leaves of the data, um, everything from turnover to engagement to correlation with outcomes to visible and invisible DEI metrics, um, and really being the person who is working to get and keep a seat at the table by saying, um, what kind of people organization do we want to be? What kind of culture do we want to have? What does the data tell us about where we are relative to that? And most importantly, um, how can I help shape the roadmap for getting us from point A to point B? Um, that, that's where I'm finding the most value and satisfaction in, in the work to be done for me and my organization right now um, is, is helping our leaders carve the pathway to a brighter tomorrow inside and outside our walls. And I think that's the important work to be done for all dedicated resource people is just become a better student of the game, become almost a sociologist, become a little bit of a data scientist, um, be a deep thinker, be a writer, a scholar, um, share with other people who do what you do. Um, and, and let's really be the people who um, kind of get us out of, out of these dark days as, as a human species um, and let work because work is where we spend our time. It's where the money and the power and the resources and the influence are. Let work guide the pathway, the, the private sector um, to what's possible in the future, the way that it has with so many other things in terms of innovation throughout history. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for sharing your story. If somebody wants to connect with you, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it through LinkedIn? I'm I'm always available on LinkedIn. I, I love having a good conversation there. So feel free to reach out and just send me a message and let me know that you heard this interview and you want to chat a little further about anything that we discussed. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. You're doing important work and the culture is where uh, that's going to separate the winners from the losers. I think the ones that have healthy culture have a better shot of surviving all this chaos. Couldn't agree more, Lee. And I, I thank you for having me on to talk about it a little bit. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Learning Insights. And remember, this work wouldn't be possible without our friends at Training Pros.